before I switched to this material, I definitely was like, oh, man, I'll just do animation, you know? <laughs> like, what's the point of this? I, I don't have an MFA. What am I gonna do? Walk in the Gagosian gallery and give them a portfolio? Like, no. Like, part of it is if you are feel like you're banging your head against the wall or you're starting to have doubts, try another way. Try a different thing. Try a different material. Try a different way of doing stuff, you know? just experiment in that way and keep your mind open to feedback and changing what you do and trying to get better at what you do all the time. Welcome to the LA Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Linz Florin. This show is all about celebrating the makers of LA County, brought to you by the only store that exclusively sells gifts made in LA County, the Los Angeles County Store. I'm so excited that our first guest is Billy Keel. Billy is one of the first people I met when Marianne opened the LA County Store in 2014. You may have seen Billy last summer on The Making It Show on NBC with Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. I visited his house and his garage studio to talk about that and many of his observations and learnings from two decades of being an artist and maker. Stay tuned till the end to get a little dose of his sweet kids, Max and Mia. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you? Good, Good to, to see, see you, man. This is Mia. Hi, That's Mia. Max. Hi, Max. Um, here, come on in. We'll yeah. go around back. Sure. <laughs> So I was gonna make some of these fish that I'm working on. Cool. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm making some fish. So um, basically, I did a installation of the Los Angeles River mm -hmm. at a Los Angeles County store in an old enclave for selling um, Verizon phones. <laughs> So that kind of started me doing felt fish as part of the installation for that. And then from there, I was flown out to Minnesota to do felt fish for a school in Minnesota. So I did all the fish in their river. And now I have a request to do fish native to the Caribbean, because that's where my brother lives, for the Dominican Republic. So I think at this point, I'm kind of doing like a a database of fish of my of my life. It's like a fish narrative or something that's <laughs> happening now. Yeah. Awesome. When you start, do you picture how many layers deep everything is, or do you that sort of gets uncovered as you create? Exactly. Yeah, that's a great question. It actually gets sort of uncovered as I create. And I, I, you know, I really liked being, you know, sort of factual and scientific when I'm doing the fish. Like I kind of want them to be you know, recognizable to people that might know the fish or fish it or, you know, live around there or something. I, you know, I, it kind of, I think it makes it more of a connection. So I sort of start from the actual fish. So if, like for this project, I was sent 12 different Caribbean fish. So I started out with this one, which I can't even pronounce his name. It's an Acanthurus bahianus. I initially started when I did it for the river, for instance, everything was hand cut. I would, you know, draw the fish and then use like tracing paper and pins to create all the different layers and colors. But as I've sort of scaled it up and also the fact that I've kind of wanted to archive it um, and have sort of this database, I've started doing it more like in Illustrator on the computer. So it's basically the same process, only I am, you know, making sort of vector computer files to do it. So this one, for instance, has this has like 12 layers to it. And it was just dictated in the same way, just me looking at it and figuring out the colors. It, and it's kind of funny because I was thinking about it, it's like, because I did it by hand for so long, I know the sort of palette 
of the, the fabric that I use. Mm -hmm. So just automatically, that's kind of going. And then I also know how things will cut and layer together. So even though I'm doing it like in a vector program, like a, a computer drawing program, it's like I'm thinking of it in felt. Right, right. <laughs> in yeah, a yeah. funny way. In your brain, it's your hands putting things on top of each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's odd. Like, And I think that comes from like, you know, you know, years of actually doing it by hand. But so then, you know, from there, there's a couple ways I can go once I have a layered fish on the computer for like quick and dirty, I can print out templates, mm -hmm. which these would sort of be like the traced bits, you know, yeah, yeah. From, from before. And I can, you know, pin them and, and immediately start cutting and I can bang out, you know, like for this project, like I wasn't sure of the sizing, you know, so I was like started with a really little guy, but because mm -hmm. I have them already, I resize them, you know, mm -hmm. so what I do then, I take them all layered out, I have my eight and a half by 11, and then I just pump them out on the oh, right. yeah, on yeah. the printer. And you know, this all actually comes from doing lots of workshops for different, you know, kids or adults where I would make the templates for them to use to mm -hmm. make their own stuff at the workshop. You know, so this is great. So like, you know, I went I had a three inch, you know, and it's cute, but you know, then I could do a six inch and it needs to be bigger for more definition or something. Exactly, you know. The idea might be to have them even hang almost like a mobile. So I think, you know, to that you start thinking about like what size is sort of visible and, mm -hmm. you know, like exactly like how the details are going to show. But, you know, the other way that, that I can go with this too, which I kind of like, is to a laser cutter. Mm. So like if I want to do multiples of these, like let's say I wanted to make a bunch of them, then, you know, I could do like, here's a mask that I did recently and I can crank out Assembly line that shit. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Exactly. Do a real factory style. So I really like having that sort of flexibility. But, you know, in the end, I think after all the layers are cut, like, applique them together, layer them in this form that I want, sew them down. And I think in that process, it gets messed up again. Mm, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The handmade comes back in. A little more chaos. So even though you went to a computer, there's going to be some chaos back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I had someone recently, for these pieces, he described it as a certain wonkiness, mm -hmm. you know, which I think it, it that's the, the sort of special sauce. If it was somehow, laid down by computer or, or somehow mechanically, I think you'd lose that. So it's just even the act of taking all the layers of color and then layering them together, like kind of messes yeah, it up again. It satisfies your need to, for a little, uh, <laughs> and I think for it not to be photo real. Exactly. And yeah, I think yeah. it even satisfies the need from people seeing them, just that it, you can feel that some, someone took their hands to put it down, mm -hmm. put it together, you know? Yeah, so that's what I'm working on now. Right now, I'm just uh, pinning all these pieces together, and you know, this will be two sided. So I got one side done. So then I'm I'm working on the the other side right here. Great. I almost feel like when I make the lines, it's like I'm making I'm making cuts. You know what I mean? I see it as like scissor cuts. Like mm -hmm. you know, so in a way, if I had not done the hand cutting before, I don't know that I would have had my sort of style of how I wanted to do it. You know what I mean? And also I wouldn't have known sort of the, the palette of stuff or just in anything, right? Like sort of prototyping things with your hands, banging out examples, I think is really helpful. Even if after that you're gonna go into the computer. It takes you out of the conceptual yeah. into the actual yes. in some way. Right, which is always gonna be disappointing <laughs> in a way, like what's in your head, right? But then maybe you step back a day later and think about it and you're like, oh, actually that's sort of disappointing in a way that I like, that I wouldn't have expected, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, in a way that I can work with. Yeah, if I had set out to be like, all right, I'm gonna do some photorealistic stuff, 
then, I would have been probably severely disappointed, you know? <laughs> so what was your entree into the maker's world? It's funny, my mother's visiting town right now, and as you can see over here, she's making googly-eyed owls, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? So it's something that obviously comes from her and growing up around someone that feels the need to buy six bags of googly-eyes and bring them on a plane out to L.A. That's your vacation plan. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think, like, for me, honestly, it's, I think, you know, my my sort of first foray, or I guess, into the, the culture of making it, I think has been just because of the using felt as, like, a material. I didn't think, oh, I'm going to get into this to make. I came at it more from, like, I was doing acrylic paintings and stuff. And I was kind of bored of seeing paint, every, you know, paintings and paint. And I was like, you know, what if I just try a different different material, different medium, and you know, what can I make that will sort of rhyme with, with what I'm interested in? And you know, it, it kind of struck me, I'm really into like sports and stuff, and it's funny because it's so soft and sort of inviting and childlike and crafty, but then also, you know, you see it with banners and pennants and thick felt varsity jackets or, you know? And so it had that sort of dual nature to me that got me interested in it just just on that level alone, you try and push it as you go. I think when it's sewn down, it really joins together and becomes a new thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It kind of goes from stuff piled together to one thing. Mm -hmm. And so that was just from doing it, starting to cut it and try to sort of use it. Once I started with that, I feel like the maker community kind of welcomed me in just because of the stuff I was using. And it became apparent with this, I can sew it on to hats or sweatshirts, or I can stuff it and make it 3D, make it pillows, or, you know, mm -hmm. then it kind of really crossed over into that sort of realm of makers and sort of world of making it. And, and, and I think also, as I just sort of bumbled into it, the whole maker community kind of exploded. <laughs> When I started, it was kind of like, what well, you do what? Why are you doing that? And now it's much more of like, a, oh, you know, oh, cool, yeah. Do you know so-and-so or, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's, yeah. it, be it became it like- the zeitgeist. Yeah, maybe a little bit. And I think there's probably something to people not wanting to spend all their time on their phones and taking a break and using their hands. That's how I got into art. I mean, I basically had been doing computer work, you know, video and audio stuff and it's it's creative, but you need to break away. And I, I was just going to paint something to put on my wall like, mm -hmm. and then I just felt in love with pen. I was like, oh, this is therapeutic. Exactly. This is fun. I think it's so true. I mean, it's funny because I always think of this. So when I was in high school, I played football. One of our coaches was also the poet in residence of the school. So he's like a poet. His name is Bruce Smith. He's great. And I remember it, you know, we did our standard stretches and he led us and then he would do move your fingers just kind of like in a, a wave pattern almost with just your fingers. And he said there was some scientific idea that it stimulated parts of your brain that wouldn't be normally stimulated. And it always struck me. And I really think it's really true. I think just moving your fingers around and concentrating on something, other ideas will pop up in your head and 
Maybe solutions to issues you're having might pop up. It's weird. I think he was dead on right that it activates a part of your brain that maybe, you know, you're not activating if you're just being sedentary or reading or right. on a computer, you know? Yeah, I mean, sometimes in the same way that getting up and moving around can just shake up your mind. Exactly. All sorts of movement. Exactly, yeah. Doing exercise or taking a nice walk, you know? I think all of that, you know, obviously, I guess there's reams of evidence that it's great for you. But I think even specifically doing a project with your hands is great for that too you know and how do you feel like going on to the making it show Mm -hmm. helped your creative process being surrounded by all those rock stars you know being in that world and yeah i think that the people that were on it were definitely a huge inspiration just like their imagination and the way they worked and the way they worked under a deadline, which was a fascinating part of that experience. But I also just think the mechanism of sort of being on a show like that, where they are sort of, you know, I mean, it was the first season of the thing, so we were, everybody was kind of making it up as we went along, including the rules, kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. just in terms of for us, there's a couple of us on there that, I hadn't really got into it like I do now, but they use laser cutters to make stuff. So it's like, can we go into those? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're NBC, you can afford it, you know what I mean? Right, like, but, but is it somehow know. breaking the maker code? Is it, you know, yeah, like, I'll put it together and it'll be off camera or whatever you want. But, you know, that was a no, which is totally cool with me, but it kind of inspired me that when I wasn't on a show to be like, oh, well, it's sort of my responsibility to kind of try and take advantage of everything I can. It's such a bam, 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 and you know, for the whole time, even before in pre-production mode, I mean, you're just constantly on this, trying to figure out the best way to do something as fast as possible. Kind of like taking that out of there and applying it in general has been really helpful for me. There's not a challenge producer telling me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to be the challenge producer. Yeah, I'm the new challenge, and, and there's no rules, really. You know, I can do use whatever I want as long as I can afford it and have time to do it, you know what I mean? So yeah. that would be, for me, in terms of making stuff, would definitely be, you know, the biggest impact that experience had, just seeing the other people using other materials and expressing themselves in such cool different ways, you know? Yeah, I had such a fun time watching that show. First, because I knew someone on it. Yeah. And then because I really fell in love with seeing just how different brains work. You right. Know, it's like yeah. the same constraints could yield very different results. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I, I think that is cool because it's like, yeah, I mean, however the science they're using nowadays to cast TV shows is frightening. <laughs> <laughs> I was told point blank, what we're creating is a dinner party. We're creating a lively conversation. It showed in a couple ways. It definitely showed, I think, in the work that people made because it was like, I'm coming at it from an interior designer. I'm coming at it from a super oh, fancy yeah. woodworker. I'm an insane paper maker. And everybody has their different ways of doing stuff and ways they stress out. But it even came out like they would encourage us to be friends and stuff. So they let us go out to dinner together. And that was the funniest thing to me was that every restaurant that we went to over the course of the time that we were there, the wait staff at the end, they'd approach the table and be like, okay, we have bets going. How do you people know each other? And we, we, we couldn't tell them because everybody had signed like non-disclosures at that time. But we're like, uh, what do you guys think? Well, you're too familiar to work together. You don't look alike, so you're not related. The best guess was a restaurant. 
<laughs> which I guess, you know, they did an awesome job of picking different people so that yeah. like whatever your creative style or whatever kind of gets you going, there was sort of someone there that kind of did it that maybe that was in that realm a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was fascinating to see, you know, how they do that. Are they doing another season? They are. Awesome. They are. I visited with them, gave some pointers to the newbies. You know, obviously they have it super easy because they actually saw people do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a blueprint. Yeah. In the back of your mind, you're like, they could edit this into whatever. Yeah. But now there's sort of a blueprint and what they're going to do. But it's awesome. I, mean, I think it's such a cool thing to bring inspiration and making it and art and creativity to such a huge audience of people. You know? Yeah, it's, and the conscious, friendly vibe. Yeah. Everyone I've talked to is just like, I just like how nice they are to each other. You yep. Know? They said that from the beginning and they stuck to it. I think even against sort of the muscle memory of people that work on reality shows who are sort of trained and honed into how to draw drama out of people and how to create really interesting conflict. And they're really good at that. And so it was almost hard for them to like, oh, wait, you can like each other? We had a running joke because there was disagreements and people got frustrated and stuff. And they're going to edit this together. It's going to be called like Hell Barn <laughs> instead of Craft Barn. It's going to be like a total Gordon Ramsay kind of uh -huh. horrible show. But they stuck to it. The creators, Amy and Nicole, the other creator, they stuck with it from the beginning. And it's just really cool to see how it affected people that had that reaction. That were like, yeah. "That's I want my kids to watch it. I like watching it with my friends. It wasn't nasty, it was just fun. And I think obviously having two people that are so funny helps a lot because yeah. it's like, all right, it's not going to be boring because it's always going to be funny. But and yeah. I think it kind of speaks to what the maker scene has at its best. From what I've seen, like you mentioned before, we met through the LA County store, my girlfriend's shop, and it's 200 plus makers from around LA. And I've gotten to meet all these great people and just to watch them bounce off of each other at the vendor party we have or at an art opening and just they're inspired. Oh, you do that? And there's like a, a friendly comparison. Not that people don't get a little bit competitive. I see good art and I go, I want to make mine better. You right. Know, that happens. Yeah. But it does seem like there's pockets, at least, of like people who are just really inspired by each other. Yeah, I think that's really true. I mean, I love to go to people's spaces or studios where they make stuff and visit with people and see how they do stuff, see what their new ideas are, see where they're going with things. You know, it's just, I, I think it's about learning, too. You know, it's about sort of being a lifelong learner. And if you're in a community of people that are, I think you get it from like, if someone's working like super traditionally, this is how my grandmother made it in Kansas and this is how you do it. This is a stitch you use. This is the thing you do. Like, I'm interested to learn about that. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I've taken classes in how to make plush and how to do whatever. But then someone else, I'm nuts. I use a 3D printer to make my own tools. And you're like, I'd like to sit down and talk to you. Both ways or people trying to find a new thing to me is yeah. endlessly inspiring and fascinating. You yeah, know? yeah. To have that setting to display and have people come in and I'll have a piece there for months and boom, some guy comes in and buys all of them or the happy foot, sad foot thing. It's just so cool to me that people have responded to that for years now. I've never been able to keep one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome to me. Like, no, yeah, and cool. I think the first thing I saw of yours, probably just before you did the LA River thing, that was a, like a strip mall pillow where it was like a donuts and something and something. And I was just like, who thinks of that? You know, <laughs> like who's thinking about, and I think some of that has to do with LA. LA as an inspiration. Yeah.
Like how much is For here sure. that is just like fertile? You could turn on any block and see something that'll either horrify you or inspire you. Yep, I, you know? I agree, or maybe both. At the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. And there's such a churn, there's such a change in LA. Like a friend of mine years ago said it really well. What they really like about LA is the energy of change. That's always happening. You could go past the same strip mall a hundred times and not want to go in there. And then one day someone opens up some quirky thing or something starts happening there and you want to check it out. Or even the idea of discovery. There's been someone doing some weird thing out somewhere that you didn't know about that you can go find. For me, the strip mall signs was kind of that sort of gentrification change energy. Driving down Sunset, and everybody been saying for years how the neighborhood was gonna change and it was changing. And how long is the jumbo bargain elephant gonna, gonna hang around? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't know. And so I was like, oh, let me capture this. This is something that I've been around and, and it's such from an era of pre-focus group, pre-artist doing your painted cool wall sign with a dab of neon. You know what I mean? It was like, my cousin drew me an elephant <laughs> yeah, it has nothing to do with anything, you know, but come to my store. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. and like it, it jumbo's big, so it's big bargains, or you know, like that, and then the Happy Foot, Sad Foot sign, the El Burrito Burrito, of course, Pioneer Chicken, Phoenix Bakery, just all of them. That being inspired by the pillow, I made wall-size plush of all these characters along the Sunset Strip. Whoa. I did a little show in Echo Park, and that to me just, it was fascinating just to see the power of an idea. It was my buddy's sub shop, it was called Trencher. He doesn't even, I don't think, owns it anymore. Hussein Katz, shout out. I did Four Foot Happy Foot, Four Foot Sad Foot, a Phoenix Bakery, Pioneer Chicken, the little yellow burrito guy, mm -hmm. as a kind of a parade. And my idea was a parade out of town, I thought. I don't know how long these are gonna be here. And sure enough, Jumbo Bargain Elephant's gone. There's one Phoenix Baker left, but there's none in Echo Park, like Pioneer Chicken. So that was just my crazy idea and threw it up my friend's place. And a guy from the LA Times saw it and wrote about it. It and the idea of it for some reason, people were like, wow. And then it was so great for me because, you know, just like we were talking about earlier, how the other half of creative act is the feedback, is, a, is, a, is an mm -hmm. audience, right? Yeah. You know, people told me about the Beck song with the happy foot, sad foot. The idea of it as a totem where you walk out and you're going to have a bad day or you're going to have a good day. It was in a David Foster Wallace novel that I found, you know what I mean? And then, then it got crazy, like the Pioneer Chicken, like I guess someone wanted that from San Francisco, and I was like, you guys have, are you a big chicken fan? Like, do you have it up there? Like, what's going And there's a Warren Zevon song about scoring drugs under the Pioneer Chicken Sun in Echo Park. I had no idea that existed, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so just that kind of archeology span and connections is something that I could have never predicted, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, and it's more likely in a place like Los Angeles. Sure. Where there is that change, I describe it as the hunger. People come here to do something. There's a lot of people who are born here, and that's a whole different scene, but yep. the, the transplants are all coming to accomplish and to make their mark. And it can be exhausting sometimes, but that is certainly the vibe and the energy that's moving this forward. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, I started thinking lately, the LA River, doing it really being true to the sort of science of it, all that's left living in the LA River are invasive species. Asian carp, there's a catfish from the Amazon, there's like tilapia, 
we're all invasive species here. Oh, like yeah. Most of us here and a lot of the people coming in are, are an invasive species. The other thing I was thinking about Los Angeles, I think, that's so cool. I took an 18 by 4 section of an old Verizon store and I put basically a diorama of the LA River as it existed at the exact time using stuff they pull out of there. The They do like an inventory when they clean it up, mm -hmm. looking up the science of what animals are in there, what they found, blah, blah, blah. Everybody here is thinking so deeply about things, right? I mean, this is a concrete drainage ditch for most of its mileage, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm a crazy artist guy. I did an installation of, you know, felt stuffed hanging there and trash. That was important to me. I wanted all the trash. Oh yeah, no, the bags and there was some Simpsons overlap. There was like a Duff beer can I, in yeah, there. I wanted, to, I wanted to do all, I wanted to, you know, they, they drew the Simpsons in Glendale by the river. I want that, I want someone fell in at a party, you know, someone dropped something in, I wanted, Tecate cans, I wanted PBR cans, I wanted spicy hot Cheetos. I wanted to talk about the people that are throwing the trash in there. It was awesome because then, you know, people saw it, people heard about it, it got press or whatever. A new organization formed at that time called River LA, and they were the new hot Garcetti approved nonprofit to deal with the river, mm -hmm. which was at war with the friends of the LA River, right? Mm -hmm. Which was all fascinating to me. And I got invited to install my river at a fundraiser for River LA. Their chief guy they put in charge was Frank Geary. So like I went to a fundraiser and took a picture with him, met Frank Geary, because I made a stuffed version of the LA River. It's like that people are thinking deeply about this. And it really struck me because then when I was invited to Minnesota to do it out there, they have a river called the Crow River. Great, beautiful river, tributary of the Mississippi. And I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> coming with my LA mind. And I'm like, all right, what's the future of it? Like, what are, what are people thinking about it? What are they gonna do? What's gonna happen? And they were like, well, it's a river. <laughs> Presumably water. <Yeah. laughs> They're like, no, we're, it's, they're like. It's gonna stay a river. Like it's a river, you know? We, we like to ice fish on it. We like the regular fish on it. Swim in it when it's warm. It's a river. Yeah. <laughs> There's no need for progress. You're not meeting any fancy architects out here. This yeah. is just a river. It's just a river. <laughs> That's great, and but, you know, that being said, I did do research. There were fur trappers. There's Native American populations that were there. I was able to sneak in a lot of stuff about their river. They were like, no trash, come on, don't. We don't want the trash. I'm like, but you know, exactly. Are artifacts trash? They're more like history, you know. You know what I mean? You gotta get it in there. I felt. Otherwise, to me, the interesting thing about it was it was like this portal into culture, people, history, also environment and ecology and whatever. But you know, I didn't want it just to be a natural history museum thing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, to me, it was like cool to have it sort of have a little bit more to it. So yeah, nice. I snuck that stuff in there. Awesome. But yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, that to me is constantly inspiring is the city of LA, the people here, the signs, the river, Dodger Stadium, sports, yeah. it's great. I just feel charged with energy mm -hmm. just going around here and seeing yeah, it change, yeah, yeah. you know? I've had a couple friends who come here and it's a little more of a struggle. You know, like not everyone find, not everyone finds the groove and they, mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's like you might have to re-earn your stripes. Right. There's something uniquely LA about that. You know? Right, yeah. Whatever you did before, is your backstory. You know, what you're doing now is your real deal. Yeah, you know? no, I think that's true. I mean, it's so massive. I mean, I've been here almost 20 years and it's gotten so much bigger even, like, it's always striking to me, like when I go to like Denver or Nashville or a little bit of a smaller city and LA is just really like filled in with people. It's just become so urban and so big. But I feel like for the first 
you know, four or five years I was here, I didn't find my scene either, you know? It was yeah. more like there's so many scenes and there's so many people that, you know, just find your passion and find what gets you going and go gravitate to that and you will find the scene. Yeah. I really believe that just because it's not a small town where, the you know, there's one studio or one claiming yeah. thing and that's all that's going on in town or even... Or even I think on the East Coast, for me, like coming from Boston, I think there's a little bit more of a, like a caste system. Like it's, like you said, because everybody's coming here to do something. It's kind of like everybody has like their side thing. Everybody's got their creative outlet, their energy. It's not like, oh, well, you're, are you in the art scene? Like we have the art scene here, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you need to, if you, you take the steps to belong to that. Like here it's like, are you into the cartoon art scene? Are you into the lowrider art scene? You know what yeah. I mean? Like are you into the... If you assemble six of your friends, you have a scene. Yeah, exactly. So like doing it, getting your hands dirty is sort of the way to find that. I think, I think so. The people I know who have struggled sort of... I can't say they sat by the sidelines, but the yeah. way I found my friends was just to get uncomfortable and go out and be in places that I wanted to be and hope that I would meet them there. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of sad nights walking away without that, yeah. you know, before. Yep, yeah. Is there some quote about that? It's like 99% of it is just showing up. Mm -hmm. Like physically showing up to the art show, to the music show, to whatever it is, just to the interview, to the Frogtown speaker series, like whatever oh, it yeah. is, just go. Go to a Show thing. up and yeah. be there. When I first started doing this stuff, I was doing sort of like these portraits of like sort of 90s sports cards. And there's a, a crew called the Hit and Run Crew that do silk screening, live silk screening. And one of the head guy of that, Brandy, saw my stuff and he was like, hey, I really want to hook you up with these guys. You know, I showed up to a meeting with him. It's like, all right, I'll go. I'll come to your shop. Like, let's talk. And then he brought in guys and they were chain stitchers. So they were all from Whittier Boulevard in East LA, and they're doing antique sewing machine chain stitching for motorcycle jackets and car jackets and stuff. And, you know, I showed up there. I went out there and I'm like, it was hard to communicate and figure out what we were talking about and what we liked and what we saw in each other that, you know, and we collaborated on some stuff and they're all still good buddies of mine to this day. It's something, like you said, with the maker community, it's something you never expect. But if you just keep showing up and keep an open mind, especially in LA, you never know what you're going to find. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. No, and I was listening to the Beastie Boys audiobook. I listened to that too. Even when they talked about it disparagingly, that like everyone in LA is trying to get between you and your money. Yeah, no, no, but that's that's where I want to be. Yeah. Like, I want to be where all that hubbub is, and uh, even if it is mockable, and yeah. even if it is occasionally maddening. Yeah. Growing up on the East Coast, like, everybody was just like, L.A. is the worst. Just mm -hmm. suburban sprawl for miles. There's nothing. It's awful, you know? And first of all, I came out here, and, like, some friends of mine lived in Silver Lake. So, wait, there's, like, cool little hills here that no yeah. one talks about. You know, when I, I came from the Bay Area, and I, yeah. my mom, she had cousins down here, for her whole life, she was a Bay Area girl. Right. And there's the strong oh, anti-LA bias. Big time. And so I grew up with it, and um, I came down here visiting friends a bunch before I moved down, and it was just like, I've been wrong yeah. my, my whole life. <laughs> yes, there's a perception. It's probably rooted in the Beverly Hills-ness uh -huh. of things and maybe the industry-ness of Hollywood. There's no depth, but right. like, I've found depth yeah. all over the place. Yep. 
I always think like my touchstones, I always love the sort of randomness of it and the off-kilterness and just the open sort of democratic nature and the sort of creative energy. And I always think back to the Beastie Boys moving to Atwater and seeing pictures of them in LA or like at the, the Hey Ladies at a mansion. You're like, what is this? And then Big Lebowski, you see there's all these layers and strata of stuff. And then, you know, obviously gangster rap and Easy e and all these different things are coming from one place. And you're like, this can't be all bad. <laughs> I mean, I know there's cheesy Hollywood people, but there's cheesy finance people in New York and in Boston. You know what I mean? Like, who yeah, cares, yeah. you know? Like, I'm sure there's cheesy people everywhere, you know? But definitely there's like a melange of things that came out of LA in like the 90s, for instance. Every journey starts with one or two steps. I think it's great to have that big idea. I always feel like my best ideas have been on sketches that were like the size of a postage stamp. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like the whole universe can be shrunk into that. But then you blow that up. Like on the TV show, I remember very clearly the 4th of July thing I did where I did some big Trapunto arms mm -hmm. on this house. And it was like a sketch that was the size of a postage stamp. Because they, you know, they're like, here's your doorway. What are you going to do? And I was like, Shh. and I'm like, poop, you know? And then it was like getting into the deal. Like, I got to get a feather bow. I got to do, now it's wrestling, like wrestling 4th of July. Like I love wrestling, you know? 4th of July in Massachusetts is nuts. Then, you know, you take that postage stamp thing and then you drill way, 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 way down. And it's like, okay, I got to cut these arms out of wood and figure out how to attach them to the house. And then how to detail them from there. Then you're in it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard the analogy, if your whole project is just a complicated web of string, you just like pull anywhere. You're gonna start to fake. I need to make arms, great. What are they made of? Exactly. Great, how big are they? Every question forces a new question and then you kind of just have to go. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly true. The sort of gravity that's really drawing me recently the most has been sports-oriented sort of work. I'm just completing up a job for Victory Journal, which is like a oversized sports art magazine that's big and cool and has really cool artists in it, but has sort of like a focus on athletics and narratives of athletics. So I'm doing three pieces for them that'll be part of an article that I'm really excited about just because also like their writing is really deep and good and it's not just so-and-so got traded today. This is like looking back at things and kind of drilling deeper into narratives and stories. And at the same time, I, I've been doing some stuff the last couple of years with Michael Jordan's brand. I did a tapestry that's down in their Jumpman store on Broadway, downtown Los Angeles. And I took the Jordan that I made for that and I kind of shrunk it down and I started doing it on jerseys, mm -hmm. uh, like the one you see over there. Yeah, that's great. Oh, thanks. And that's really gotten a cool reaction from people. I like the applique, I kind of like the the, the sort of idea of almost like graffiti, like sort of throwing something on something else that doesn't belong there. But recently, like just this last February, there's a game called NBA 2K. Their lead guy is a guy named Ronnie 2K. And so I did a jersey for him for All-Star Weekend, which was in Charlotte. So I did like a Jordan from college on a Jordan jersey from UNC where he played, which is Charlotte. So it's like his spot. And so then I've just had really cool conversations with like NBA people. I'm excited to kind of hopefully bring sort of a creative maker art vibe to some of the stuff that they do. I think it's really a cool sort of 
niche to kind of work on right now because first of all, some of the sports fans that like the stuff that I like are getting older and have some money. <laughs> and maybe their tastes are evolving. Yeah. And maybe they don't just want a poster anymore. And then the other side of it, like the young guys coming up, the whole sneakerhead culture has a real maker element to it that is sneaking in there with releases and different versions of shoes. They're starting to see people look at materials and colorways. And I've already started to see different people that maybe like take the form of a shoe and maybe redo it all in new materials like Air Force One and snakeskins or something. And that to me is just like one of the most satisfying things about doing the NBC show is how many people said to me, like, you know, my boys like tore up my house this weekend making taco trucks out of cardboard. And I think that that's awesome. I'm excited to bring art and creativity and inspiration and making stuff with subject matter that maybe appeals to people that haven't been into that before. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. yeah, that's definitely super exciting to me. And there's some other cool stuff coming out that I can't can't quite talk about yet, but you know, I mean, that's a part of the creative process too, is having to wait. You yeah, know, something you spent six months on, then you have to wait another six months for it to get, for it to be promoted or have it be not hush hush. Like, yeah, let the deal come together. Yep, totally. And you know, one big lesson that I took from being on that TV show because we shot it and then they worked on it for a year before it came on television. We left and they were like, all right, you know, it's going to be on Thanksgiving. It's happening. And we were like, sweet, Thanksgiving passed. And they were like, maybe Super Bowl and like nothing. And then it gets to be March, February. And you're like, did I dream that? Like, you know what I mean? Like we were texting each other like, is this, so this didn't happen. Like they just bagged this. But I mean, apparently that's the way they do things and they hammered it out. But I remember also during that whole time, it was like, keep it a secret. I told just the closest people to me and no one else. And I was very adamant about that. First of all, because I was scared out of my mind legally what would happen or they'd cut me out or something. But also just because they said to us, keep it a secret. It's going to be much more fun to watch this roll out. Trust us if and just no let spoilers. us roll it out. Yeah. And so, and watching them do that, it was a lot of fun. So I try to take that. And, you know, I could talk about the Victory Project for another half hour, but it's like, let's wait. Let's have it done. Let's do it right. It's a cool lesson. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a good thing to take for other makers, you know, especially in this day and age, you know, you're kind of like, this thing's cool. Let me get it on Instagram, you know? Or And you're like, you maybe sleep on that. True. How much more powerful will it be tomorrow or in a week if I've taken the steps to unroll it properly yeah. or like, wait for the other stakeholders to get on board? Or exactly. Or like even for me too, it's like I've been making a lot of stuff for a while. So it's almost just as interesting for me to take a breath and be like, all right, let's not put this thing on and let's reach back and let's look at something with a fresh set of eyes yeah. and throw that on, you know what I mean? And see where maybe that's gonna lead to something new or something else, you know? And how cool is it to release something that no one even knew you were working on? Like, oh, yeah. like Beyonce, that's the new trend in records. Drop it. Not even telling anyone you were making one. Yeah. You know, because it's so much more impressive. Yeah. If no one knew you were working on a thing and all of a sudden you dropped it complete, Yep. Boom. There's yep. some power in that. I, I totally agree. When you're young, you're just so excited. Yep. You know, and as you get older, you're like, no, I want to unveil this better. Yep. Yep. I think that's true. And you see the value in that and like waiting and unveiling things in the right way. To me, it was hilarious when they finally announced everybody on the TV. I mean, people like, you know, on my Facebook time, like people's heads were exploding. You know what I mean? People I hadn't seen in 20 years, every part about it, I think we were like, wait, what? I thought that was just hilarious. Like it was like, yeah, when did this crazy thing? Check it out. <laughs> That's awesome. So this is Mia and Max Keel, my assistants. Awesome, what do you guys do to help out? 
Sometimes when he laser cuts, we take the things apart and like glue them and like put them together. Like remember? Yeah, actually. And we got paid money. Yeah, paid the money. He's like a quarter for each. At my school. Yes, and then Joanne's donated a bunch of canvas, and they gave too many. So I've been going around to schools and doing workshops, and I did one at Maxie's school where we made. What did we make, Maxie? Mm, sea creatures. She made them breathe. That was cool. Yeah, she bubbles like they're breathing. Yeah, 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 that's right. So I did a commercial for FXX Network for The Simpsons. And so I did a big pennant for them of uh, Duff Man, of Duff Beer. And so we had a lot of assembling to do and gluing. And both Mia and Max like were very, very helpful with that one, right, guys? Yeah, but, and also he wore that for my school. Oh yeah, Sir Craft a lot. Sir Craft a lot. <laughs> we did and scissors. Yeah, we did a we did a um what was it? A, a pumpkin uh That was also faces. for Halloween Rumble. That was Halloween, that's right. Thanks so much for listening. LA County Store is offering listeners a one-time discount of 10% off your purchase online or in store. See our show notes page for more details. Please subscribe, rate, and review on every platform and share with everyone you know. LA Makers Podcast is brought to you by LA County Store and Sparks Factory Productions, and all of the sounds are produced, recorded, and edited by me, Lynn's Florin. I thought you were just coming to shake me down for more pillows. I was like, this, is this really a podcast? What's going on? Yeah, I'm her heavy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're like, we're doing a podcast. Yeah. All right, buddy. I'm like, removing yeah. everything from the walls till you get me more pillows. Yeah. <laughs> give, me, give me my feet. Give me my feet. feet. I'm taking your Jordan. <laughs>